You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey, all, my name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Um, I want to start off maybe just a, a few minute preface. In this sermon, I, I probably am not going to yell at people and stuff today. Um, I hope we teach a little bit and, and get some handles on some high level stuff. But I, I just want you to think about this just for a second. What's in it for me? That question, what's, what's in it for me? I, I appreciate those who read the Bible uh, on your own and you open the Bible and you say, God, God, what's in it for me today? What, what would you have for me? Uh, I appreciate the question because I know that that means that you're trying to live in such a way where you want God to shape you and transform you so that you might live differently because of his word. That is fantastic, right? But a few things to kind of counter that just on the front end real quick. If you open the Bible and you say, God, what is in this for me? When you read that passage in Exodus, you're going to flip the pages pretty quickly. Um. We, we have to figure out what it is to them and, and then for us. God's word was written to his people in a particular uh, city, in a particular context, in a particular time. It was written to them for us. So this word right here was not written to you. It was written to them in context for us. And that, that changes things, right? Um, Else we make false assumption about what this is saying to us here today. Uh, secondly, you'll struggle to see all of God's word as equally from God and valuable and relevant. Right? My job and our job as the church is not to make God relevant. He is relevant. And so when you read parts of scripture that kind of just, they don't fit in the world that you live, then you can bypass those or minimize those as not being from God for you for his church, uh, for his people. Um, and then and lastly, when we start with what's in it for me, we'll miss the bigger picture. We will miss um, that, that our lives in Christ are fuller because of the backdrop and our backstory between God and man. We get to know God more fully in the way that he deals with us by the way that he deals with his people. We get to know ourselves more fully because of the way we see God's people mess up a whole lot, right? So as we read just some of these words, and again, I'm going to do my best at kind of summarizing some chunks, but um, man, I'm not naive to the fact that a passage like this is going to hit everyone differently. I, I know that that's true. And so what we're going to try to do today is, is find, we're going to strive to find the storyline, and that is God's goodness and man's fallenness, and man's need for rescue, and, and God's grace that he provides to restore so that we might live new, that we might reflect his glory. Uh, and, and, and secondly, because the United States of America, which is where we sit today, right, um, because it, it's not a theocracy, it's not that God is king, although he is king of all kings, but our nation, the United States, does not function as this being our constitution, right? We know that. And so because of that, 
Um, it, it changes the way that we... In, in fact, when you read the Bible and you see Israel and you associate the United States of America, uh, you, you shouldn't do that. In fact, when you see Rome, you should more likely sit with Rome as you think about the United States of America. But when you read about Israel in the Old Testament... We see now, uh, under the new covenant, the church, God's people scattered to every tribe, to every nation. And so we sit with the church, we sit with Israel, it's just not unified under God ruling and, and, and making the, the laws of our land, so to speak. And so those things are really important because uh, that means that we should not reject them altogether. We, we can't just reject this, this chunk of scripture but also it means that, that you're probably not going to petition as law at the next city council anything having to do with piercing someone's ear like we read in the focal passage. Or anything to do with an ox for that matter. Right? So this stuff matters. I think to set this up, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs. So just bear with me and like hang in there today. All right? We'll see what happens. Um, this is from Christ-Centered Exposition, Exalting Jesus in Exodus Commentary, I think this is helpful for us to figure out how we engage with something like this. <clears throat> in our slow jog through these chapters, we run into some intriguing passages. You must not boil a goat in its mother's milk. We save that for Mother's Day, so we'll get to that <clears throat> soon. Um, as well as some contemporary hot topics such as the death penalty, slavery, premarital sex, orphan care, lawsuits, fistfights, property, uh, uh, the poor, loving our enemies, and more. In Exodus, and this is just a summary of what we've been saying week after week after week, God formed a people to display his glory. He taught them how to live in community with one another. Before we pass on this section, uh, before we pass it off as irrelevant, think about how important this section was for Israel. They needed some guidelines for living. Check it out. We can understand this need. Have you ever had a roommate if so, then you know proximity brings drama, even if you have wonderful roommates. I've had a number of difficult roommates, and, and with each problem, I insisted on some guidelines. For, some, for my, my snoring friend, Philip, I made him go to sleep after I went to sleep. It's justice. For my friend, Calvin, I asked him not to play loud music at 2 a.m., for Jamie, I demanded that he stop locking me out of the room. <laughs> With this in mind, you can imagine 600,000 men plus women and children living together in a desert. They needed some guidelines. They needed instruction to help them not only uh, to get along with each other, but also to learn to glorify God in their daily lives. The rules or ordinances we find here essentially apply the ten words to specific situations. Is there anything more relevant than glorifying God by loving him and loving our neighbor? That's where these things sit, right? For background, I can't talk about all of the things that are in this today. But we, in the same feed that these sermons come out, um, in wherever you podcast, we have a, a formed and sent podcast where we spent uh, the last two weeks in three podcasts talking about slavery in the Bible, talking about concepts of social justice and all of those things. So please let those supplements feed you, support uh, what my words are saying here today, and, and really just support your life in Christ. 
All that being so, when we read a text that starts off like this, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, we have lots of questions. So when we see the word slave rightly, because of our history in this country, we think something uh, maybe a little different than what's going on in this context. Slaves were not transatlantic. It's not southern uh, chattel slavery like, like we have experience with in this uh, country. But, but we are familiar with those things because of the dark history of the U.S. Here's what this slavery looked like. It was voluntary. It was temporary. It was civil. It was non-oppressive. Nor was it racially or, or ethnically established. And so... Just in reading these, which I encourage you to do, um, you'll see it, it was largely voluntary. That is, there was no governmental services, like there was no safety net for the poorest of the poor. And so uh, there's no safety net for poverty. So one might commit themselves to another for protection, for provision, to pay off debts, to make restitution. Right? That was just common practice. It was temporary. There was a six-year max term unless the slave, and this is what the text says, unless the the slave uh, loves his master, in which case he would do that thing where he went and gets his ear pierced with an awl. He basically gets a a whole poke, and and that would define that relationship as master and slave, and that that would be be the way forward for them. Um. Upon departure, if, if the, the, the slave had family, then upon departure, they would, they would take that family. And, and in some uh, context, we see that they were even given gifts upon their departure. It was civil. Um, abuse was not to be tolerated. Again, as we see in these passages, um, if, if a master hit a slave and he lost his eye, the slave would go free. If a master hit a slave and he lost his tooth, the slave would go free. They were given a day of rest. Um, the, 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 the relationship was civil. Uh, they guarded against labor abuse. There was accountability for those that, that had leverage in the work relationship and also for the master. There was a saying among the Hebrews um, in the days of old, and it went like this. A Hebrew that acquires a Hebrew as a slave also acquires a master. And what that meant was because there are so many laws protecting that slave that the master who acquired a slave also became a slave himself to the law that was given him. Esau Macaulay says this, given reality of human sin, the Bible aims to mitigate some of the damage regarding slavery in the culture. And so Uh, The analogy fails at some point, but the way we read about divorce in the scriptures, um, early on, like, no divorce, Uh, husband, wife, that's the way that it was. Later on, you see um, that Moses gives certificates of divorce. Later on in the New Testament, they say, hey, why did Moses give certificates of divorce? And Jesus said, yes, they did that. He did that because of your hardness of heart. All right, and what we see is 
is God works with us because he knows us really, really well. All right. And so when we look at this, we might say something like this. Against the backdrop of darkness and human sin, God didn't offer an abstract voice, but he cares and he descends and, and he meets his people where they are with righteousness, with restoration, with justice in love in his sight. God's community bears responsibility to love neighbor by living justly. Okay? With that in mind, I want to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in here. God, thank you for the gift of, of song. Thank you for the gift of uh, the assembled people. God, thank you for the gift of your word that we get to sit under it as disciples today. God, would you remove me from this equation, and by your spirit, would you do work? Would you shine bright your light? Would you let us see as your people that we get to bear responsibility to love our neighbors by living justly? In Jesus' name, amen. Because that's true, God's people get to lift the lowly. <clears throat> Poverty, injustice, oppression, and the like, they have a way of, of cycling through not only individuals' lives, but the lives of community and the lives of, of families. Um, if left to itself, society doesn't, it doesn't just flip the script at its own cost. And so things can compound, not just interest, but, but lots of other things. And so there's a, say, uh, a song by a guy named Justin McRoberts, and he says it well. He says, um, uh, I can't remember what he says. Uh, I should have written that down. Uh, I'm going to sing it. In, in, in five minutes, it'll come to me. I'll just belt out in song. Um, but, but the idea is that there's no, no car, there's no job, um, you can't get any money because you don't have the qualifications to do what you need to do. And so that cycle just continues. And if you don't have any, any money or you don't have any credentials and you can't get a job, you can't, if you don't have a car, you can't get to work. And you see how that cycle works. And that's, that's a microcosm. One person, we've probably felt that or known someone who has felt that. These are also true uh, as we zoom out and we look at communities. And so God establishes rhythms to lift the lowly. Six days of work, one day of rest. Right, we're free, and we don't even take that gift. Six years of work, and the, and the slave is, is made free. In the Bible, there's even this idea of, of a jubilee that every 50 years, God's people uh, it's, it's like a once-in-a-generation reset. Everything resets. Land distribution resets. Uh, servitude resets. Contracts are, are negated. And God's people, they didn't take that gift either. God's design fabric of community, it acknowledges both the wisdom of work ethic it acknowledges the, the, the value of stewardship as well as the natural social structures that, that will rise. And, and he assures of equal value, equal dignity, equal worth, 
that everyone, everyone is made in the image of God. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to live different lives. And so even, even with that, God's less concerned with... Uh, so, so even given all of those things, we have distinct giftings and opportunities and, and different lots in life. And so, so some will have more and others, for a variety of reasons, will have less. And, and God is less concerned with that. And he's more concerned about the means of getting to that point. You get what I'm saying? The people are going to live different lives. And we're going to have, uh, some people will have more stuff that this, this world offers. And God is not so much concerned with that. But what he is concerned with is, is living in a, a just society. Establishing the way in which we interact, no matter where we To live in such a way that values our brother and sister as human image bearer of the Lord. God engages and he redeems, and he steps into the muck to lift up the lowly. And he does that in, in sections like this through a, a, a list of case law that's a bunch of four instances on how, like, like you know that it's true that, that every silly law that's on the books probably happened for a reason, right? The game Scategories is just... There's a section in there that's just law, like you can't whale hunt in Arizona. And it's like, why would, that's, that's on the books. Why would that be the case? These things are here for a reason. You have hundreds of thousands of God's people trying to figure it out. So, we, we judge then with now lenses. And, and that's not to make excuses for anything that we read but it may be a misjudgment of the reality of what God is actually doing against fallenness and against injustice and for the marginalized and for the outcast and for the lowly and for the victim. So for the hearers of these ordinances, when they were read aloud, they would have seen the contrast of what God is giving them compared to the nations around them. They would have seen the contrast that's built on justice, that's built on equality of human life, that's built on human dignity and value and worth. And the poor and the marginalized, they would have heard hope and relief. Because this is not what it looked like to live under Pharaoh. And for the domineering, oppressive, powerful elite, they would have been drawn uh, to conviction and to repentance of injustice that had happened through their hands. You know humans. I know humans. Do you think that that was the way that everyone perceived? The no. Like people are broken, right? But but none of this is a foundation for identities defined by your group. That is to say that, that this is not categoric oppressor group, oppressed group, and that is the lens in which I see every part of this life. What I would say of that category is that it's a wicked and pervasive ideology that you are who you are because of the established group dynamic that you fall into. And the only hope if the only categories that we see in this life are oppressor group and oppressed group, the only hope is that we would simply flip the script 
And those that were oppressed would now oppress. There's no hope in that. That is not the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that we have in Christ is much, much, much bigger than that. Now that leaves a lot of questions, I know. I don't know all of the answers to those questions. But what I do know is the categories that God gives are redeemed and obedient and an enemy of God and rebel. Two categories. Those who are in covenant community by faith in God alone. Or, or for us, those who are uh, by God's grace through our faith in Christ alone. And that is our identity that we put on Christ two categories. No matter what group dynamic plays out in any of that, right? And, and I hope that you're able to kind of peer through what I'm saying and what I'm not saying about the culture in which we live today. That is really significant that we get a hold of that. What that means is I have more in common with a, a 97-year-old Filipino peanut farmer who is in Christ than my twin brother I don't have a twin who's not in Christ. Right? Someone, I've ne- someone I couldn't even speak to, I don't even speak their language. Someone I've never walked a day in their shoes. Someone that I don't know the culture, the climate, I don't know what music they listened to when they were a kid. I, I don't know what sports they played. I don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about their job. I have more in common with that brother than I do the brother that lived in my home all of my days if he's not in Christ and and the Filipino peanut farmer is, then that's my brother. So it it chops up the categories that we put. We have to understand that when we're reading this because what we're going to do is we're going to sit with one of the people. As we read through these things, we're going to find ourselves in one place or another. And what we have to, we have to, kind of sift through all of that stuff. This is the work of the gospel in tearing down and building up our gospel identity and our gospel bond. So imagine if the the federal or the local governing authorities, legislators, policing agencies, what if they suggested to speed, uh, suggested not to speed or not to steal or not to burn down your neighbor's shed or not to commit insurance fraud? But, they, but there was no penalty if you did that. How do you think that would go down? You think 20 in a school zone? You think people would be like, well, but it's probably best. Not, not when you're late for work. See, a law without a penalty is a suggestion. And if I know anything about humanity, if suggestions don't serve our, uh, our, our purposes then we're probably not going to do them. A law without a penalty is a suggestion, and what we're left with is is love and justice, a just society with consequences and get accountability to lift up the lowly. And so I'll, I'll give you in this first section an overview. Strike a man to death, you shall die. Strike your mom or dad, Curse your mom or dad, you shall die. If a man dies at, at another's hand, he may, seek, he, he may seek sanctuary. But if it was premeditated, there is no sanctuary. He must die. Steal a man, man stealing, kidnapping, 
anyone who's involved in helping that happen, you should die. That, that's the penalty for the law. If there's a fight between uh, two people and, and one of them gets the sense beat out of him and he takes some time off work, this is what the Bible says 3,000 years ago. It says that the other should pay for his lost wages and his medical bills. If a master strikes a slave to death, avenge his death. If you hit a woman who has, who has a group of cells inside of her, well, there's nothing to do there because it's just a group of cells. But if we acknowledge the dignity and value of all of human life, including the, the inception of the baby inside of a woman, it says if a man hits a pregnant wife, a, a pregnant woman, and, and everything turns out okay, then, then it says justice is to give the man who hit her and let the husband deal with him. But if, if the baby dies, because it is a baby, then so too shall the man. And then it goes on and it says, if, if in harm, in instances, uh, an eye for an eye, a life for a life, a tooth for a stripe for, for stripe. And it goes on, if a man strikes a slave, that leads to this slave losing his eye or, or his tooth lost, then he's free. That's a breach of contract. Those are not honorable terms. And then we get to like really good stuff. If, if an ox gores a person, Kill the ox, don't eat the meat. It's probably tough anyway. But if, but, but the owner is okay. He's like, man, I didn't know. Like, it, that ox was crazy. <laughs> I didn't know that. But if it happens one time, and, and the ox gores a person, and it kills him, and, it, and, and then they find record that that had happened, that it happened in, the future, or in the past, the ox shall die, and so too shall the man, because he handled his ox in a way that wasn't responsible to his neighbor, and it led to his neighbor's death. You see how like simple these things are? That just they're they're putting responsibility on the people to lift up the lowly and to lift up the victim and, and to pay the penalty of the crime committed. So the law in this sense curbs evil, or it's intended to curb evil. God lifts the lowly and he establishes justice for the afflicted. So here's a question for you. We're still in point one. Do you rejoice in this? When I say God lifts the lowly, do you say, oh gosh, what a great God we have. Or do you say, yeah, but like when the lowly don't help themselves, like, and they get themselves in the situation, like, what do you expect? Or do you say, yeah, that's great, God lifts the lowly, but no one's ever lifted me. And, um, and, and no one's ever lifted my family, and no one's ever, ever lifted my people, and I've been pressed, and I've been pushed. So what I would tell you is, God knows. God is just. God is loving and kind. He does stuff outside of our reasoning. He's not like us. But that's why this is good news, because there's opportunity for, for judgment and justice for the oppressor, and there's opportunity for repentance, uh, but there's also opportunity for, for justice for the victim. 
And this gives voice to the voiceless. God is deeply concerned for the care and the welfare and the justice of the vulnerable as well as just penalty to the offender. And we'll see these pages uh, and, and throughout the scriptures, um, they, they cry of the, what's called the quartet of the vulnerable that we see in Zechariah 7, 9. Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. So what's the hope in this? Well, here's the hope. Every one of us are the offender liable to penalty and punishment for sin against God and against neighbor. We, we all fall short. None has loved God and loved neighbor perfectly. And because of that, we need one Christ who lived perfectly, who stood in literally in the gap between God and the punishment that we deserve, and he took it upon himself to liberate us to be free men and free women, free from the, the guilt and the punishment of, of the sin that we accrued against God. And, and, and the second hope in this is that we are all lowly, that we are desperate in need because of sin through us and to us. Thanks be to God who stoops low to raise up. In, in 21 verse 5, it says this, this weird thing, but, it, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, a really sharp thing, I presume, and he shall be his slave forever. So, so we see this idea of commitment to devotion, not in bondage, but in delight. <clears throat> and I want to read what Charles Spurgeon says of this. Genuine Christians have had their ears bored. That is to say, they are such Christians that they could not be anything else. And when they have their choice, and they do have it every day, for temptation gives them many opportunities, they will not go out, but are obliged to remain the servants of God. One of the awls with which God has bored their ears is past mercies. Forsake the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved me. He bought me. Some of us were in great distress and Christ gave us peace. We were ready to destroy ourselves and he gave us joy and liberty. And since that day, he has led us into green pastures and besides still waters. He has supplied us night and day. We cannot leave him. I think our ears are also bored by a sense of our personal helplessness. Leave him? Ah, but where to? We cannot do without him. God lifts the lowly, right? So we get to rejoice that he became lowly to lift us up in the newness of life and to the glory of the Father. And so we get to walk because God loves justice. Uh, we, we get to lift the lowly and secondly, we get to right the wrong. This section deals with the ideas of, of restitution. 
specifically make right what you have made wrong. And in this section, there's all kinds of interesting things. Like if you dig a hole, um, cover it so it's safe. And if an ox falls into it, then you're going to pay for that. It's like OSHA regulations. That's where they started building these things out, right? Uh, it talks about pet sitters. Like if you're watching someone's ox or their donkey and something happens to it, then like, hey, uh, you're responsible for that, right? Which is why in the U.S. we love contracts. Because it protects us from stuff like that, right? Liability. Like in, in this country, you can't go jump in a trampoline park without liability, right? I mean, like you can't do anything without signing the waiver and saying, okay, I'm not going to sue you because, man, if there's anything we love, we love suing people, right? Um, uh, personal property damage, history of violence, escalates responsibility, theft, self-defense in burglary, all kinds of stuff in here. Arson, lots of things. Right? But if you think about it practically, these laws are why we worship contracts. Because it, 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 it puts responsibility where it should lie. And we, we love, uh, when love for others isn't assumed, and, and self love and preservation is, then we trade love for neighbor and, and we love ourselves. Instead, that's what these things are intended to curb. So we need, we need technicalities because we don't have clean hearts, right? The law is useful where love is not present. God knows that. He knows his people. He knows me and he knows you. And so when you wrong someone within the community, how do you deal with that? I mean, I mean just this week, my, my daughter had some thing at school or whatever, and, and there was like a, uh, yeah, someone did something and whatever, and so there was a phone call, and, and Kim initiated with parents and all this stuff, and my 11-year-old daughter had a phone call with a classmate, and by the end of it, they were laughing, and I'm sorry that I did that. Yeah, when you do that, you made me feel whatever, and it was like, that is really great. That is what, that's what benefit of doubt, repentance looks like, to, to, to aim to, to reconcile, to, to make right what was, was wrong. And so just three things real quick. When you think about repentance, think about these things. One, you get to own it. I did that. And there's no greater freedom offered than in Christ when we get to confess who we are apart from him. So when someone says, hey, it seems like you're da-da-da-da-da, or did you do da-da-da-da? And what we start thinking about the penalty and the consequence and all those things. No, I didn't know nothing about that. But, but the freedom that we have in Jesus is you can say, I, I did that. Right? And it's when you confess that, own that, that you find yourself free. Secondly, you don't just get a, st yep, I did that. That's not the win. But then you get to hate it. I did that. And I hate that. I'm sorry that I did that. And I know that came at a great cost to you. And I, I, I want to sit with you. And I'm sorry that that brought inconvenience and loss that, that came at my hands, whether it was negligent or intentional. I, I own that. I hate that. And then I get to make it 
right, as best as, as I can, and, and you can't bring back life, and so that's why we have some of the things that we have here, but, but where it's possible to make restitution for our wrong, make it right with compassion and, and tears, if necessary, from a, from a place of loving up and loving out. Don't you wish, if you've ever seen like those courtroom shows where the judge is funny or mean or whatever, wherever you would watch that, and you have people making excuses, and that's literally all it is all day long is just people making excuses why they're not responsible for their stuff. Could you imagine someone sitting there and just saying, I did it. That was me, and I hate that I did that, and I'll do the time necessary, and I will pay whatever. No, we need judges to tell people where they're wrong so that justice might abound. So we're circling around in this, this idea in today's climate. It comes like weighty and, and complex issues regarding reparations, right? Um, if you think that I'm going to give you all the answers for how we deal with hundreds of years of slavery and lots of things, um, I, I don't have those today. Um, th- that, is, that is making right on corporate sins of country and issues of responsibility and just payment. And, and sometimes I, I hear that or I read about that stuff in and, and different sides of, of the many sides, and I shrug because it's, it's steeped in, in politics and economics and complex social issues and lots of things because we are not a theocracy, remember. But what I would say is that we know this for sure, that, that we get to benefit from and contribute to justice by being responsible to make right what we personally make wrong. That's what we get to do. And in matters where we have influence and in matters where we have voice, where others are wronged, we get to lend voice and value. And that means that we get to sit with and we get to weep with and we get to bear burden with and we get to pray with and show compassion for and contribute to making right what is wrong. To breathe justice into the vacuum made by injustice where we can. With the understanding that everyone has limited resource. You have limited time. You have limited money. And here's the thing. Injustice in our country, systemic or otherwise, it's, it's not just a one-issue thing, but there are literally injustices across the board of every, uh, of every make and model of humanity. And so you're always going to be stepping into things that might, uh, that, that might suit your passions or, or that you might be really excited about or, or that you might be really broken by, but there's no way that you can engage all of those things and look, that is okay. That's part of the beauty of the diversity of God's people. That we have different influence, and we have different voice, and we have different resource, and we have different responsibility, and we have different passion, and we know different people, and we're aware of different things as God would shine light to us about those things. So we get to breathe. That's okay. We can sigh deeply and rest. And just as, as God encourages us to do, Jesus goes the extra mile towards us. He alone writes what we alone wrong. 
left to ourselves, top to bottom, across every spectrum, we contribute to brokenness. And he overcomes our brokenness, and he overcomes the cracks marred by sin in our lives and in the lives of us, uh, of those around us. And he gives abundance, and he gives blessing that we don't deserve, and we receive injustice at Christ's expense so that we might go and live justly by loving our neighbor. When Jesus walked the road of the cross, he righted our wrong. So God's community bears responsibility to love neighbor by living justly. And because that's true, we get to lift the lowly and we get to right the wrong and we get to care for neighbor. Like we get to do what God says is the most important thing, cover to cover, and that's we get to love God first and best, and because of that, we get to love our neighbor well. So in this section, in, in kind of the end of 22 and in the beginning of 23, we, we see that women have value and dignity. We see that uh, the sorcerer, uh, if, you, if you dabble with sorcery, then, then the penalty is death. We see, don't wrong the sojourner because you, you were once a sojourner. Don't wrong those that are outside because you were an outsider in Egypt. Don't mistreat widows and orphans, but dignify. Don't get rich through manipulation, exploitation of the vulnerable, unfair lending practices. Don't lie as a witness to commit injustice against your weaker neighbor. Don't be partial by siding with power. Don't lie for greedy gain. Return your neighbor's stray animal. I love animals. That's a little tough for me. We'll talk about that in a second. If you pass an animal in distress, loosen its burden. Very practically, today, the culture that we live in, you think of, of the way businesses run and you think of fine print. I remember the first time I went to get a car. I was young and foolish or whatever, and uh, I needed a car, and I sat, and maybe it was the second time, um, and I sat in this, uh, this banker's office, and he said, here's the contract, da 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 da, -da. I'm going to step out for a few minutes, uh, read over it, and I'll come back in. And, and I, I read over it, and, and I'm like, my dad is in me, and so it's like, no, you gotta, they're going to get one over on you. It's messed me over, right? And, and so, but I'm also young and just trying to figure out my voice and what that looks like. And, and I read over it and I read this line. And it said, like, today, uh, so the interest rate will be, you know, 7% for one day. And then, like, 17% for the remaining 36 months. Of one, 7% for one day? And then it, like, looks like a credit card for the remaining three years. So the guy come back in, I was like, what is, what is this? Because I asked you about percentage, you said 7%, but you didn't tell me that was for one day. And, and I, ultimately, I, I went to another bank and got another loan. That's, it's like, don't do that. Because fine print, technicalities, it's built on, on mistrust and, and unlove. Take advantage of, of urgent need with unmanageable burden. I need money today. I have to. I'm going to be evicted. Well, here's some money, but you're going to pay me back sevenfold. 
okay, that's not setting anyone up for them to be able to get out of that cycle. Or, or if you go and you get an oil change and you don't know any better, and before you leave, they say, it's going to be $1,800 because we have to change the, all the other things. And you say, well, I have to drive. Like, that's not okay. That is not okay. So all those things, they build animosity and cynicism, and they build mistrust within a community and And in our business dealings or in the way that we conduct our normal life, our relationships with with loving people and and with thought, and we get to love people in the slightest ways and in monumental ways, we get to care for neighbor. And so if you're looking, you're reading these things and you think, well, man, yeah, do I do that? I'm sort of like in my business or in the way that I conduct my life, I find myself constantly sliding my others my neighbor, just ask two questions. Am I honoring God? Like I'm wearing the team jersey. By baptism, I'm baptized into his name and into his family, into his mission. And we looked at in the Ten Commandments, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And that's not just saying, oh, Lord, when you don't mean that. But that's don't wear his name in a way that doesn't reflect his honor. So when you, before you sign that thing, before you ask of your neighbor X, Y, or Z, am I honoring God? And secondly, am I loving my neighbor? And you might say, well, I mean, love, I mean, you got to make a buck, and I'm not saying that you just give away everything for free. That's not the thing. But is this loving? Am I being responsible to lift up? Am I being responsible to right wrong? Am I being responsible to care for my neighbor? There's this thing that, that I think really helps. In verse 23, chapter 23, verse 4 and 5, he says, If you meet your enemy's ox. Now, look, I've tried to tame wild horses before, right? Like my family, hey, we got a horse loose. Can you come and help us? And I nearly lost my life. So these things, I don't love that, right? <laughs> like this way, horse runs at me. I dive. Very dramatic. So when I read this, I'm like, my heart escalates. Like, so if, if, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. Right? Did you hear what I said? Your enemy's ox. Ah, dang. Your enemy's ox is going astray. I know what you're thinking. That's what he deserves. Not my problem. He goes further. If you see your donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden. I don't know what that means. I try to we'll talk about that. You shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Like my first thought was that I'm taking a jog in the neighborhood and the dog has he's caught in his leash. I'm like, "Hey, he's under a burden. I shall free him." But it seems like the owner is involved somehow. So I'm like, "Is this ox laying on top of the owner?" And like, because we're freeing both of them. So they both got caught up in the leash. And like, this dude hates me. And what what God calls us to do is to set him free. Now, does that mean that, that when I see my neighbor's pit bull roaming the neighborhood, that I have to go grab him? Come here, buddy. And no, it doesn't mean, it does not mean that. It doesn't mean that. But it's a command to show love to God by loving not only your neighbor, 
the people that we like, but, but also our enemy. This is what makes life, the, the obedient life in Christ, impossible apart from a new heart in Christ. Can't do it. No one would want to do that. So there's this idea of like being responsible versus being able. There's a stray animal, help your neighbor who hates you by bringing it home. This is a heart revealer. If my initial response is, that is not my problem. And that doesn't mean that you have to go help everyone do everything. You can't do that. But if that's your response, when my wife sees something happen out uh, our window and, and she's running out there literally laying down with a bleeding dog in the street, I'm like, Kim, that is not my problem. Those are not hypothetical scenarios. But, but maybe it is. So again, the application is not, so all of these things we get to demand to others, no, it's what we get to demand of ourselves. That's a big difference. Right? This may not land in your neighborhood uh, today, the, the way these things play out, but, but you get to live your life as a contrast called out and sent into light against the backdrop of darkness to put his character on display in a world that is not our own. And there was one who flipped the script on injustice and one who turned over the tables of wicked power. One who, when we were in a flat spin and heading off to sea, he pulled the controls and he overcame our imminent despair. Jesus, the best neighbor to ever live, took responsibility to care for problems that he had not. So whether we are in high places or low places, we get to be better neighbors because we have the best Savior. The band can come on up. Man, if this were a tattoo, it might read something like this. Micah 6.8 Mankind he has told you what is good and what it is that the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. And all this, it's not bondage, it's freedom that we get to love because we were first loved. We get to respond, you can sit where you are, you can stand up, you can sing, you can pray over there by that prayer bench, over there by that red tree, or my wife and I will be back there, would love to pray with you about whatever it is that you have going on, right? You can take communion if you're in Christ and you, you put your full confidence and rest and assurance of eternal life in, in what God has given us through Jesus, then we get to take of the bread and, and, the, um, and the drink in remembrance and, and so that we might declare his body broken, his blood shed for us. Father, thank you for the men, women, and children that are a part of this family, may we get to bear responsibility and, and go and, and love our neighbor by living justly. In Christ's name, amen.